and worshiping. Um, if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We are going to be finishing today our short series on the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And so this morning, my goal, really simple. I want to give you guys all four brief reminders that Paul gives us, and then three exhortations. We'll see if we get to them. If not, that's okay. But uh, my goal is just four brief reminders and three exhortations. So before we do that, let's go ahead and turn to our God in prayer. Our most heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, if we are um, honest about the reality is the fact that we need your help and we need you uh, for every single thing. But Lord, especially this morning, Lord, we are not enough. We are not capable to understand and apply your word on our own. We are not capable to understand it and to um, know how it applies to us. And so, Father, I thank you for your spirit and your spirit's help, and I pray that you would help us this morning to honor you, Lord, that you would help me to honor you in the way that I preach your word and that I would do it faithfully. I pray that for all of us, <clears throat> as we hear your word, that we would take it to heart. Uh, Father, that this morning we would uh, lift you high and that we would recognize just how desperately we need you for every single facet of life, Lord, not to be anxious about anything, to be content in the circumstances that you put us in, Lord, and to think rightly. Lord, in all things. And so, Father, uh, we are not enough, and yet, Lord, you are, and you are satisfied within yourself. There's nothing that you need. And so we thank you that we can come before you and that you are our help and our strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, <clears throat> four reminders. First one, let's just jump right into it. Verse one, let me read it. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So first brief reminder, I just want you to hear, love is present in Christ's church. Okay? Love ought to be present in Christ's church. just want you to hear it, again, from Paul's words. I just want you to hear his affectionate words towards the Philippian church. He says, therefore, my brothers, okay, there's a brotherly affection, there's a familiar affection, whom I love and whom I long for, they are his joy. They are his crown. And he wants them to stand firm. We'll get to that in a second. And the Lord, my beloved. Okay? There ought to be love in Christ's church. So quickly, my question to you is, do you love Christ's church? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ's church that God has given you, God has ordained for you to be in a church with sinners who f fail you? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this church? Okay? Is there a longing and affection for you? Do you love the church with Paul's affection for the Philippian church. First brief reminder. Secondly, perseverance is present in Christ's church. Okay, so love is present, perseverance is present in Christ's church. Right there in verse 1. My brothers, what's, his, what's Paul's desire? Is that they would stand firm in the Lord. Okay, that is his longing. That is his joy. Okay, and I want you to hear, church members, is that us as pastors, one of your pastors, one of our greatest joys in life, in ministry, it's just that you would stand firm and that you would walk faithfully with the Lord, okay? And that is an exhortation that Paul gives. They are his joy. He delights in them standing firm. And so I want to encourage you, as a Christian, you are called to stand firm. You are called to persevere. It is your duty. And if you are a part of God's people, if you are in Christ, then you can trust that God will help you persevere until the end. 
Okay? It is your duty every single day, not to remain where you are, but to persevere, to press on towards the Lord. And secondly, with that, okay, if our call is to persevere, then our duty towards one another is to help each other to do that, to persevere. How can you help your brothers and sisters stand firm? Okay? Is that your joy? If you long for them, do you long for them to stand firm? Pray. Okay? Pray often for your brothers, for your sisters, that they would stand firm in the Lord no matter what comes their way. Thirdly, okay, let's get to verse uh, 2, and the third um, remind, brief reminder is conflict is present in Christ's church. Okay? Love, perseverance, and conflict are present in Christ's church. Verses 2 and 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay? Paul's exhortation to those two women are that they would agree in the Lord. Okay? It should not be a surprise to us that conflict is present in Christ's church. So do not be surprised when in our church there is conflict that's present. The Philippian church is not an anomaly of our church. This is not something that is strange for it to happen. This is just normal when we have sinners together that there will be conflict. Now, don't be surprised at it, okay? but yet at the same time, don't just be okay with it, right? Conflict is the enemy of peace, and we long for peace in the church. And so when there is conflict, seek to resolve it as Paul is exhorting these women to do. Okay? So ask yourself, do you have conflict with anyone in the church? Okay. Is your heart given to love them? Or is there maybe bitterness in your heart? Hard-heartedness towards them. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you are envious or jealous. Is there anything in your heart that's preventing you from actually loving your brothers and sisters that is causing conflict, even if it's not outward, okay? We're not just talking about like screaming matches back and forth. You know, conflict can happen within the heart. And if you do not resolve it, there will not be peace in the church. And we're longing for peace in the church. And so, would you seek to resolve it? If you have a conflict, if you have an issue with your brothers and sisters, that's not a surprise to me. Okay? If you have a conflict with somebody, that's just the most normal thing. The question is, will you do something about it? And so, just like Paul is exhorting these two women, agree in the Lord, would you, brothers and sisters, would you all agree with one another in the Lord? And if you need help, that's okay, right? Verse 3. What does he tell us? Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Okay? There is help available in Christ's church. It's okay. You don't have to do this alone. Paul calls for other people to help them. It's, not, it's okay for you to ask for help if you need it. And I want you to see there's conflict even among, among excellent members in the church. Okay? Conflict doesn't just happen among people that are just like always the hardest ones to get along with. These are people that Paul calls uh, who have, women who have labored side by side with him in the gospel, okay? They're excellent. They're worthy of honor. Paul mentions them by name for a good reason, okay? Not only calls them out, but actually honors them at the same time. And so conflict happens in the church. Would you deal with any conflict you have in your heart? So love, perseverance, and conflict is present in the church. Fourthly, gospel partnerships are wonderful blessings, okay? We break off from the pattern because... That's just what it is. So, um, gospel partnerships are wonderful blessings. And I've talked extensively on this uh, for chapter 1. So, if you forget, just go back to chapter 1 on this. Uh, but I just want to read you verses 14 through 15. Uh, and Paul just shares, Yes, yet, yet it was kind for you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Okay, that whole section, we're not going to read it, but verses 10 through 20 right there. Paul is asking, is thanking them and is praising God for their provision towards his ministry. Okay, and it's just exalting the Lord in the way that they care towards him. And it's just wonderful to have partners in the gospel, in the work of the gospel, because it's lonely. And so my question for you with this reminder is, do you have partnerships in the gospel? Do you have people that you can come alongside and encourage or they can encourage you? That goes both inside and outside of the church. Okay? It is good for us to seek to be, have helpers help outside of the church. So do you have that? Do you have that? We as a church, we want to take this seriously. Okay? We've been preaching this. We've been talking about it. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be insulated from the world around us. We want to actually help you and be helped. And so a couple ways, even just a couple of way of announcements, okay? Some things that we're trying to do to kind of foster this in us. First, open Sundays, okay? Open Sundays. If you haven't joined one, if you haven't come, really encourage you just to be able to come, okay? You don't just come because we love one another. We do love one another. But open Sundays are such a wonderful opportunity to love those who you're not really able to connect very well, okay? You come on Sunday mornings. It's hard, it's hard sometimes to just have actual meaningful conversations when you're in the middle of teardown and there's a kid that's running right in front of you, right? Like, it is all, not always possible to have deep, meaningful conversations. It's not always possible for you to reach out and encourage and love, okay? There's too many people here to do this that you just miss out, and I do this all the time, okay? So open Sunday. See this as an opportunity to actually extend love, extend hospitality towards your brothers and sisters. Secondly, another way, men's retreat, okay? Men. Our retreat is coming up, I forget the date right now, October something. Um, so check the email, it's on your cal- hopefully it's on your calendar already. But our men's retreat, right? So we want to, it's a really great uh, opportunity for us to grow as men, but we don't want to just grow alone, right? So this year, what we want to do, and we want to encourage you uh, to come, and we're going to join forces with the men from uh, Trinity Reformed Church. So we're going to have a joint men's retreat combined. We don't have all the details figured out yet because there's a lot of things that we cannot figure out, but it is going to be such an encouraging time just to be able to see, okay, not only are the men here in the church trying to strive after God, like there's men in other churches, faithful churches that we love who are seeking to do this as well. And so we want to invite you and we want you to make that a priority that you would grow and love even people outside of the church who are seeking to be faithful. In the last event, right, the camping, okay, our camping time. So make that a time where you can love, even if you're not a big, like, you know, that's not your thing. Camping is not your thing. That's okay. I know it's not everybody's thing. You don't have to come and spend the night. You don't have to go and sleep outside, you know, and be really uncomfortable. But would you consider even just coming and extending love and being able to meet people in a different setting for camping? It's going to be a sweet time. So take advantage, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. These are wonderful opportunities for you to grow, and I want you to consider how can I take advantage of these things. All right. Onto the, onto the more uh, deeper exhortations. So we went through the uh, four brief reminders. Um, let's start with the exhortations. First exhortation from verses 6 through 7 is, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Verse 6 and 7 read, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Right, so we're going to talk about worry and anxiety this morning. What does the world say about anxiety? The world, you know, sees it as a problem, but when you think about it, the world just offers no lasting solutions. Okay? In the eyes of the world, worry and anxiety is just something that's just part of your personality trait, part of your makeup, okay? and there's really no cure. Like, there are things that you can do to cope with it. You know, there's exercises that you can do to try to minimize kind of the symptoms of it. But at the end of the day, there is no lasting solution to the fact that you are anxious. Okay? I'm not saying that there isn't any help, right? that there aren't things that could be helpful to you. But I'm saying at the end of the day, it's only any, everything that the world can give you. It's only temporary towards your anxiety. Okay? It's temporary. There's no actual true peace that is found in the world. But I want you to know, church, that true peace is actually possible. Okay? True peace is possible. Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, okay, this peace of God is available to you, and it's available to Paul. Again, Paul is writing this in prison, when he has no reason to be peaceful, okay, to be at peace. He says that peace is possible. So if Paul, is, Paul has peace available to him in Christ, you have true peace available to you. Okay, and the reason why the world cannot deal with it, okay, the reason why the world cannot address this is because anxiety, worry, and fear, okay, all these things are sin issues. They're heart, issues of the heart. Okay, and the world cannot fix our hearts. Only Christ can fix our hearts. But the good news, right? The good news is the world may not give us the solutions we need, but God's word has so much good to say about worry and anxiety, okay? I want you all to have hope that when you're anxious, when you're prone to worry about what's coming tomorrow, that God's word has solutions. Let me give you an example. So, if many of you guys know is that um, we bought a house, we sold our house, and this has been a very crazy process. Okay, so just three weeks ago, we didn't think that we were moving, we were just going to be content with what we were, and then all of a sudden, saw a house, liked the house, put it up in the house, all of these things very tenuous, and we didn't think we were gonna get it, we thought, there's no way that they will accept it. Our offer is too low. There's too many things working against us. And yet we really wanted it. We really wanted to make it work. And then is anybody going to buy our house? It's so little. Who could ever want to live in a house like that? What were we thinking when we bought it? And all of these thoughts. It's just anxious thoughts overwhelming every single day of the last three weeks. Okay? This is personal. And God, for some reason, made it fit for you to get, you know, one of your pastors worried with anxiety and teach you on anxiety, and I'm sure there's somebody better, but in God's sovereign team plan, this is what you get, okay? And so, um, I'm, at least I can say I am with you, okay? Oftentimes, I used to think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that anxious of a person, and yet you're pressed on the things that matter, and all of a sudden, those feelings, those overwhelming emotions just rise up, and you find yourself thinking, and you cannot sleep, you cannot eat, you're thinking about this and this and that, and so I, I'm there, and um, we, I know that it's hard, and it's something that I cannot do on your own. Okay? Anxiety is hard, and it's difficult to deal with, and it affects many, many different facets of your life. And so um, there's hope. Okay? I'm not saying that you will never, ever struggle again. I'm not saying you're going to read this passage, and then you just be perfect and never be anxious again. Okay? That's not realistic. Okay? We're sinful. Some of us are going to be more prone to fear than others. Okay? Some of us, we just all have our sin temptations. Uh, but I want you to know that if that's you, there's real help. There's real help in Christ. You do not have to be stuck. And that's what I want to impress upon you, is that if you're anxious, you are not stuck with where you are. That is not your personality. That is not 
how you are defined for the rest of your life. Okay? You're not stuck with this as something that you always have to deal with. You may, oh, you may struggle with it for the time that you come, that you have here on this earth, but in heaven, this will all be gone away. Okay? You actually have hope that this will be dealt with once and for all, and that there is hope even in this life. You have hope to have peace. So you may still struggle with it, but the hope is that your Father, your Heavenly Father, actually cares for you, and He cares for you deeply. So how should we think about anxiety? Well, again, we know, the world knows that anxiety is bad, okay? And we as a church, we know that anxiety is bad, but here, this passage is actually elevating, okay? It elevates how we should think about this. Not only are you called to not worry about, you know, the little things of life, but, you know, it's okay if you worry about the really big things because those things really do matter. No, no, no. Paul, right here, God's word says, do not be anxious about what? About anything, okay? Big or small, do not be anxious about any single thing. No matter your circumstances, you have the ability, and God gives you the strength, and he calls you to actually say, hey, do not be anxious about that thing. Whatever it is right now in your mind that is concerning your thoughts, that is overwhelming your emotions, whatever that is, God is calling you and telling you, do not be anxious about that thing. And we'll get to how, okay? Okay, but for example, right? Anxious about job. Anxious about uncertainty, about what could be with my job. What am I going to do? How, am I, how is God going to provide for my needs if this job doesn't work out? Anxious about sickness. Okay, there's much sickness around in our church, and you have loved ones in your family, and families in our church, and you're like, I don't even know how to help them. It's easy to be anxious. It makes sense that you would be anxious, and yet God is calling you to say, do not be anxious about those things. What about teenagers? Okay. Those of you with teenagers, right? You have a few families in our church, and you have teenagers who are growing up, and, you know, are they starting to, you know, walk in the ways of the Lord? Like, are they going to remain steadfast, as we just talked about? Have I taught them the things that, you know, the right for me to teach? Are they just going to go off and do their own thing and walk away? Like, all these things and these thoughts that are so concerning for a parent and can cause so much anxiety, and yet God says for those things, we don't have to worry about those things. Okay? Again, I'm not trying to minimize it and say it's not easy. I'm there with you. This is really hard, and yet I'm telling you there is hope. This is too hard. This is too hard. I know it's too hard. And I want you to know that what, is God, what God is calling you to do is too hard for you to do on your own. You cannot stop your anxiety on your own, which is why the world cannot stop your anxiety for you. This is something that you cannot deal with yourself. That is why you need Christ's help. So how, how are you to deal with your anxiety? When anxious thoughts come, okay, when the concerns of this world are just filling your minds and you just cannot seem to um, get away from it, how are you to address your anxiety? Verse 7 no, sorry, verse 6 again. In everything, in everything, little or small, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So how are we to deal with anxiety? Is by bringing those things and our concerns to the Lord. Okay, run. Run to your Heavenly Father in prayer. You worry much because you don't pray much. Okay? You worry much because you don't pray much. And even if you pray a little bit, oftentimes we just stop right there and we, sit, we try to take it upon ourselves to change it. This is a promise from God's word, and I want you to hear it as such. Okay, this is a promise that when you're anxious about anything, bring your request to the Lord. And what? In verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, might, oh, wait, no, may, could, no, no, will, 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would you trust in your Father who cares for you? Would you trust and would you bring your concerns to Him? Would you not stop bringing those concerns to Him? Would you not stop supplicating with thanksgiving, asking Him, Lord, would you help me in this? I am too weak. Would you go to your Heavenly Father in prayer? Would you trust Him? Okay, it seems so simple, right? It seems so simple. When you're anxious, you know, just have to pray. It's, our anxiety seems so big that you're like, I feel like I actually have to do a lot more, right? That's too simple of a solution. I need to take it upon ourselves to do this and this and that, and this will actually help. But guess what you're doing? You're saying, I can deal with this better than God can. Okay? You're saying, I can actually take this upon myself and not actually lay my concerns before the Lord. So would you trust Him? Do you actually know better than God? Can you do better than God in these things? You cannot. So don't take it upon yourself to do this. And this peace is available to you. What kind of peace? It's a peace which surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense. Okay? In the eyes of the world, people should look at you and say, I do not understand how you can be at peace in this situation. Okay? This is beyond any understanding that I could have. It surpasses all of our understanding. It is beyond what we can imagine is what God has offered to you as his child. It's a peace that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want when you're anxious and your thoughts are running wild and all over the place and your heart feels like it's getting tugged one way or another? Like what you desire is that God would guard your heart in Christ Jesus. And that is what he promises to you. So go to God in prayer and do not be anxious about anything. In a very brief point, uh, if you would look at verse 9 there with me, um, it also says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, just want to make another comment. Another practical way that God helps us with our anxiety and with peace, to give us peace, is by practicing the things that we have seen, okay? By following the example of those whom God has put over us. So, do not be anxious about anything. Number two, you have a responsibility before God to control your thoughts. You have a responsibility before God to control your thoughts. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what's the command? Think about these things. Think about these things, okay? This is the emphasis right here in the verses. Think about these things. Think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, Lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Our thoughts matter to God. Our thoughts matter to our Savior, okay? The problem is, is that we in the church, we really live as if they don't matter that much, right? If you're honest with yourself, you live as if your thoughts don't really matter that much to God, okay? I think, you think, that you're not really sinning until you actually act upon your thoughts, that your thoughts kind of live with you, no one has to see them, no one has to know them, and as long as you kind of keep them in here, then you're good. Okay, we think that our righteousness depends on our outward appearance much of the time, and yet, you know, the Lord looks at the heart. Our thoughts really, really matter to our Lord. It's throughout all Scripture. Okay, we're going to see a couple verses in a second, but I want you to know, your thoughts can actually be sinful. 
Have you ever thought about that? Your thoughts can be sinful. Okay, and you think, well, I can't control my thoughts. What am I supposed to do? We'll get to that. But your thoughts can be sinful. Okay, let me just read you a quick passage to show you that, you know, we think that our thoughts are innocent and it's only when we act upon them that we actually commit a sin against God. But our thoughts can actually be evil and sinful. Mark 7, 20 to 23. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down if you want to refer to it later. Mark 7, 20 to 23. Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Okay, let's just stop right there. Out of the heart of man, so out of your heart, what comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. Your thoughts can be evil. Okay, and you think your thoughts are innocent. No, your thoughts can be evil. Your thoughts can be sinful. What else comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. I lost my place. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Okay, what defiles you is not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And your thoughts can defile you before God. Okay, and you know this, okay, you know this in your head. Okay, what is pride? What is pride but thinking that you are better than somebody else, or thinking that you're more important than somebody else, right? Even your thoughts right there, you know, condemn you. What is idolatry? Idolatry, but thinking that some other God or some other being can actually provide what only God can provide for me. Okay, what is lust? What is lust but entertaining indecent thoughts that you're not supposed to have about another person? Okay, you can have hurtful thoughts that are sinful to the Lord. You can have angry thoughts towards your children. You can have thoughts of self-pity that are not rooted in faith. You can have thoughts of grumbling and complaining. So I want to impress in your mind that you can sin with your thoughts. And so I want to actually elevate God's standard of righteousness, okay? You think you're not that sinful because you think, oh, well, I don't do this and this and that. Well, examine your thoughts. Are those thoughts in you? And if so, you're still guilty before God, okay? You're not righteous from the outside. Consider your thoughts, okay? And it's no wonder that we think we're, you know, not as sinful as we think. We think, oh, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. And then you think, well, what if I were to have the ability to get all your worst thoughts from this week and then just display it on the projector for everybody to see, right? How terrifying would that be? Like, people would say, that guy is a terrible human being. That is who you are, okay? That is who we are. And God knows all of those thoughts, and yet he loves us and he tells us, hey, there's hope. You can act I actually want you to control and to reorient your thoughts toward things that are good. The other problem, too, is that Thoughts that you let linger actually lead to more and more sin. Okay? If you entertain a sinful pattern in your mind, don't be surprised when you actually give in to it. Okay? You've got to cut it at the root. So how can we control our thoughts? And that's the big question, right? Seems impossible. How could I ever control what I'm thinking about? This seems like something that I should not be able to do. And yet, God's word commands us, think about these things. So you actually have a responsibility to control what you're thinking about. God has given you the ability and the responsibility to think about, change what you're thinking about. So how? Okay, a couple of thoughts that I want to give you. First, see this as a battle. Okay, see this as a battle in your mind. And the good news, right, is that you're no longer captive to, um, you know, the bondage of sin. You've been freed in Christ. If you're in Christ, you've trusted in him as your savior. Okay, you've been freed from bondage. You don't have to, you no longer live 
having to have those thoughts and being bondage to those. You have freedom in Christ, and yet it still requires diligence. Every single day requires diligence that when you recognize you're thinking a thought that is not pleasing to God, you have to repent from it, which gives me to the next kind of point. Okay? How do we actually deal with this? Just like with anything else in sanctification, okay? when you sin, you repent. You sin and you repent. You're quick to repent. So repent of your evil thoughts. Have you ever confessed to the Lord, to your brothers and sisters, but to the Lord, have you ever confessed your evil thoughts, your sinful thoughts, and have you actually ever seek to repent? And what does repent look like? Okay, how do I repent of a thought? Well, it means you try to put off that thought completely and you seek to replace it with what's right, right? This, the pattern of scripture is, how does that, for example, how does a thief, how should a thief repent? A thief repents when he stops stealing, but that's not good enough. He stops stealing, and then he starts working, and then he starts being generous with, his, with what he earns, right? It's a complete turn of heart and change of mind. So how do you change your thoughts is, yes, no longer do you stop, try to, you, you tell yourself, this is not an honoring God, thought to God. I need to make sure that we're, I'm thinking something differently. But also, I actually want to replace those, thought, those thoughts, and I want to fill them with those, the thoughts that are honoring to God. Okay, so replace your filthy thoughts with God-honoring thoughts. Let me read you just a couple other verses to kind of make sure that you know. This is just throughout all of Scripture. When it talks about your heart and your mind, think about the responsibility you have to think before God. Okay, Colossians 3.2. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Psalm 119.37. The psalmist says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. We'll get to that here in a second, too. In Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I just pray that this would be our desire as a church, that God would help the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to us, and that we wouldn't just be content with letting those thoughts linger in our minds. So don't settle. Don't settle with just filling your thoughts with things that will just numb you. you Actually seek and pursue good and godly thought thinking. And be aware. How do you fight this? Be aware. If there's triggers that make you actually think things that are not honoring to God, recognize those things and try to change. If going to a certain place triggers thoughts that you know are not helpful to you, stop going to that place. If watching something triggers thoughts that are not honoring to God, stop whatever that is. Okay? Recognize, learn yourself. It's not a surprise, okay? Just like it's not a surprise when a young man is walking on campus on a hot day that they would lust. Okay? It's not a surprise that you, know, you would um, continue to walk in sin if you're not recognizing what you're putting in. Okay? So part of it really also includes recognizing what you're putting into your mind and your hearts. So I want you to, especially for your children, okay, be steadfast, be diligent. Know what your children are watching. Know and pay attention to them. Be diligent. Okay? And for yourself even, be aware. Okay? What kind of entertainment am I consuming? What is it producing in my heart? Okay? Am I aware of the books that I'm reading? Am I aware of the music that I'm listening to? Am I aware of the things that I'm meditating on and how it's actually affecting my relationship with God? Okay, and this is not to say that like, you just cannot have fun, that you know, 
you can't watch a video on YouTube or you cannot follow disc golf, you know, after this. Like, I'm not saying that there is no place for joy and entertainment in life. There is. The question you have to ask yourself is, how is this actually, is this actually affecting my thought process before God? And if so, how can you be careful of it? How can you be careful? Okay, it doesn't have to have the label Christian in it for you to consume it. You can learn so much good from even just being around nature, from reading fiction that can actually help you exalt God. But at the same time, just be careful what you're consuming, what your children are consuming. Talk to your kids about the, what they watch, what they consume. Okay? If you're going to watch something, watch with a critical mind. Okay? Don't just assume that the things you're watching have, are neutral to your heart. They're trying to gain your affections towards the world. Be on guard. Be on guard. And fill your mind with Scripture. Fill your mind with Scripture. Don't neglect the practice of reading God's Word every single day. That will be the thing that will help you. So do not be anxious about anything, and you have a responsibility before God uh, to control your thoughts. Last one. I'm trying to think how much to say about this. Well, number three, you can be content. You can be content regardless of your circumstances. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Again, remember, Paul is in prison, and yet he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay. And I just want you to know, church, Christ has given you everything that you need to be content regardless of your circumstance. Everything that you need in Christ has been offered to you. Okay, you can be content when your house is falling apart and there's too much to do. You can be content when you've been praying for a spouse and the Lord has not granted that to you. You can be content when family slanders you, when you recognize, I don't know how God is going to provide. And whatever, this is what Paul says, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger. In hunger, the Apostle Paul could still be content. Okay, and How? How? I'm just going to encourage you, like, if you, our small group has been going through a book on contentment, um, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and it's such a, such a good book. Um, so I, I really commend that to you to read it. It's been a great help. Uh, and you can read the abridged version, by the way. Like, I've tried reading the normal version like three times and just get the two, two chapters. It's like, this is so good that I just, my mind just cannot. Read the abridged version. That's okay. You get really good things from it. So I really commend that book to you. Um, but let me just tell you, contentment, right? It's not like personality trait. It's not like I'm going to be happy and not actually deal with my afflictions. It's being satisfied in God's purposes, okay? It's being content and saying no matter what God brings, no matter what circumstance I'm in, okay, God's mercies are greater than my afflictions. And so I just want to give you how, how could you ever be content in difficult circumstances? And just three things, right? We talk about our thoughts. We talked about how we're to control our thoughts. Well, I want you to think rightly about God. If you think rightly about God, you will be in a much better place to be content. Calvin says, ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience. And that is the reason why we are so quickly, and on trivial accounts, thrown into confusion, and often, too, become disheartened because we do not recognize the fact that the Lord cares for us. Recognize God's power. He can do whatever he wants. Even if it seems too difficult for you, he can do it. And not only that, okay, 
If you're not a Christian, that could be terrifying because what could God do, okay, especially in your sin? But no, your Father cares for you. He has good will towards you. Think about his power and his good towards you, his affection towards you. So think rightly of your Heavenly Father. Then think rightly about his mercies. Compare the, the mercies that God has given you in Christ with any of your afflictions, and you'll recognize you always have the better thing. You always have the better thing. It is great what Christ accomplished on the cross for you. And right, lastly, think rightly about your afflictions. So think rightly about God, about your mercies, and think rightly about your afflictions. Okay? Know that your afflictions are expected. This is, this is not a surprise when you suffer. Okay? Moses suffered. Paul suffered. Christ suffered. Are you beyond suffering? Suffering and afflictions are also fit for us. Just like if you were to have a servant, okay, they would have to afflict themselves in order to serve you. Should you not afflict yourself and undergo suffering in order to serve your heavenly master? Your afflictions are never commensurate with what you deserve. So don't ever think that they're commensurate with that you deserve better. You'd always deserve worse. God is always treating you better than we deserve. And lastly, your afflictions are momentary. Okay? They're only here for a moment. We're here for a time. Please and honor, the God, honor God. And in the life to come, and even now, God will deal with us because he is with us. So with that, let me pray. Oh, most Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the help that we have in Christ. Uh, Lord, these things really are too big and mighty uh, for us. We lack the ability to control our thoughts. We lack the ability to control our emotions and our anxiety. Uh, we are not ones that want to be content in all things, but want to complain and grumble and be unthankful for the things that you've given us, Father. So, Father, just this morning, I just ask that you would help us to lift our eyes to you and to think rightly about your mercies and about who you are and how you deal with us kindly. And, Father, may that help us live godly and righteous lives before you, Father. That is my, my concern, my goal, is that we would be people who would want to stand firm facing no matter what circumstances, that even when we face hunger, we face abundance, Lord, that we would want to please you and honor you with whatever you have, and that your good hand upon us is all that we need. So I pray for us that you would go before us. In Christ's name, amen.